Here's a quick word from our football educational partners over at the Scouting Academy. Listen, we've said it all the time. If you love the analysis and you're passionate about football, then you really need to check out the Scouting Academy. Whether you're a football coach, aspiring writer, or even aspiring football agent, the Scouting Academy is really a perfect place for you to learn and develop your skills as an analyst. With curriculum that spans over 375 years of coaching and personnel experience, the Scouting Academy offers you a 16-week online course that you can tailor and build to meet your needs and your interests. Whether you're learning about wide receivers or defensive linemen, you can make the experience what you want it to be. Listen, I've said it to you on this podcast many times. I've spent my own money, my own time, and time away from my friends and family because I am just this passionate about this game. And the Scouting Academy is the place where I really feel like I've learned the most I've ever learned about the game of football. It's made me a better analyst. It's made me a better person in terms of the coaching I do on the field. I can't say enough great things about it. If you have any questions about the Scouting Academy, please don't hesitate to reach out to Dan Hatman on Twitter or reach out to the Scouting Academy online via email. I'm open to all questions as well. Heck, I'm still even a student there myself. Please don't hesitate to reach out. I really think that once you learn all the tools and gain the knowledge that they have to offer, I really think you're going to be absolutely excited about the game of football again. This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me as always. This evening, I am joined by, as always, Mr. Matt Caraccio. Matt, welcome. Paul, I am, again, extremely excited as we get to dig into the community and get some of those the best analysts out there, literally, to come and join us and share their opinion. I'm sure many of our listeners have had enough of us and enough of our opinion. It's just nice to mix it up a little bit and get a little bit more perspective. And I'm really excited to have, honestly, one of the evaluators out there that I just respect his work tremendously. And just seeing what he brings to the table and hearing his opinions, it's really one of those nights where I'm just excited to kind of get started. Yeah, absolutely. So let's bring him right on. It's Jason DiRienzo from co-host of the Devi Watch podcast from DFF. Jason, welcome to the Saturday Sunday Football Podcast. Gentlemen, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, Matt, two kind of words. I really appreciate what you guys do as well. And um, it's it's nice to see some Scouting Academy, real-life scouting profiles put on Twitter that I can I can understand the language. And it's just a lot of fun to see the detail you guys put into everything that you do. So I really appreciate your work as well. And thank you for having me on. Absolutely. So listen, free agency now, a week in the books, a lot happening in the NFL. You know, the NFL draft is only about 37, 38 days away, depending on when you're listening to this. So we are closing in on the NFL draft, you know, quicker than it seems. So we started our positional preview shows last week by having on Mark Schofield to talk about the quarterback position. As Matt said, we've been previewing and talking about these guys all year. We did our tier shows. So we always like for that final month before the NFL draft to really start bringing on, you know, some great experts and and hear other people's takes, other people's opinions, bounce ideas off of each other. So that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to take a look at this deep tight end class. Mm -hmm. I think it maybe is arguably the strongest of the skill positions. Some people might say wide receiver. I think the tight end class is just as good. I think it's top heavy, but I also think it's got great depth. I think you're going to see a lot of guys go, you know, first night, a, a couple more on day two, and then a lot of really strong guys who can fill roles in day three. So let's just get right into it. And, I'll start it off with the big three, Jason. Obviously, the two kids from Iowa, Noah Fant, uh, uh, TJ Hawkinson, and then Irv Smith Jr. out of Alabama. Matt and I have talked a lot about these guys. We think they all probably warrant first-round consideration. 
it'll be interesting to see with such a heavy defensive-minded draft and a lot of top defensive prospects if any of them do slide to the top of round two. But maybe just kind of give your quick thoughts, Jason, on these three guys. Is there a lot of separation for you? I know the combine for some people, you know, kind of sorted things out a little bit. For me, yeah, I didn't see anything that dramatically made me alter anything. Matt and I very much film guys. What's your perspective on these three guys and, and kind of how you see them transitioning to the next next level? Well, I'll start with Irv Smith Jr. You know, a lot of people are talking about his combine and coming in undersized and what he ran. And and yes, it would have been nice to see him run a little bit faster than I think it was a four six three at at his size of just six two and two forty something. But at the same time, when you watch the film, and, and I am one of those guys that's a film junkie, and I'm starting to come around and understanding that analytics have to be a part of it, that Irv Smith, his film, he is a very good blocker. He's a very good move blocker, allowing himself to get into the second level. He shows really good physicality within his blocking, but he's also very good within his movements, his body mechanics, and how he moves within his routes, and he shows good catching ability. You get him in space, and you know there's a lot of different things he can do. So, you know, I understand where people want to kind of knock him a little bit for what the combine showed and what he what he did as far as his weight and different athleticism, but I'm like, I don't want to take too much away from that. You know, he's a very good leader and we saw that uh, while his, in his last season at Alabama. And um, yeah, he's just one of those guys that I wouldn't knock too much for what we saw within his performance at the NFL combine. And when it comes to Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson, you know, LJ and I had the opportunity and what a pleasure it was to talk with Noah Fant on uh, one of our last podcasts and just a humble guy. And, you know, we saw the athleticism that he put on display at the NFL Combine, and he wasn't satisfied. You know, you're talking elite numbers, and this guy even said, I was a little bit frustrated. I'm I'm sitting here thinking, really? <laughs> I wouldn't be? You know, but th- that's the kind of guy he is. That's the kind of work ethic that he has, and he's not going to settle for just mediocre or even elite. He wants to be better than everybody else, and that's something that we don't get a chance to see when it comes to a film analysis. We don't get to know the person and know the player, know in between the ears what they're thinking. But you see it on film. He, he's got the movement ability. He's going after the ball. You know, we had him on the podcast last season and we talked about his drops and how he wanted to improve. And sure enough, he did. So he identifies his weaknesses and he'll do whatever it takes to make sure he improves them. So that's something I definitely like about Noah Fant. TJ Hawkinson, he's just a monster. And he, he's an all-around solid player. I think you know what you're getting from him. Um, just as a prospect, you know, he's a outstanding blocker, shows good knee bend and good elbow bend, square shoulders, drives into the defenders, shows good blocking ability, good pass catching. Uh, you know, again, some people want to compare what happened at the NFL Combine, but I think there shouldn't be too much of a surprise. I think we knew that Noah Fan was going to be athletic, and I think we were pleasantly surprised. I think TJ Hawkinson actually did better at the Combine with his performance than I expected to see from what I saw on film. Irv Smith didn't do as great as I expected, but again, the film tells a different story. So I think those three are well-deserving of a first-round grade. You know, and I, and I kind of want to follow up, if I could, Jason, with some of the things that I know we've, we've talked many times about, you know, framing our analyses, looking at different perspectives on how to look at players, how to contextualize film. And I heard you mention some of those things when you were talking about Hawkinson, Smith, as well as Fan. And, and I guess I want to throw it back at you and say to you, you know, in terms of framing weaknesses and concerns i mean mm-hmm. I, I wonder if i wonder if maybe we're we're in the wrong language arena sometimes are we are we looking towards things that can be developed i mean do you see within this these players do you see areas that they can be developed and if so where do you think some of these guys ceilings potentially lie and i know that's a very loaded question and very hard to answer but i think it kind of gets to that root of how many of these things are incorrectable that you see amongst these top three? And maybe how many of these things do you see that might be correctable and maybe have a ceiling where they could be these perennial uh, all Pro Bowl type players? Well, the beautiful part of these three prospects is I think they all have a solid foundation of talent to work off of to be possible Pro Bowl players. I mean, that's kind of how I have them projected. So let's let's take Irv Smith. You know, my one of my weaknesses for him is just kind of his fluid natural ability to have sharp, crisp cuts in his routes and breaks. And under, you know, he has a his route tree wasn't extensive, but that's all coachable. Once he gets to the next level, it's just going to depend on the scheme, the coach that he gets with, and 
that that's what I think we kind of detach ourselves with is we're, we're evaluating them what they are right now, but we're, we have to project. And I think people get lost in that is, you know, this, this isn't who he is going to be. This is what we're working with now. This is the template that we have. And there's so much to build off of that. If he lands with Cowboys or Patriots and the opportunities there and the coaching is there, you know, the sky's the limit for some of these players that already have a pro bowl caliber foundation of talent to work with. And that's the same thing I feel with TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fan. You know, Noah Fan, uh, some of the knock is what his blocking, but I saw I saw pretty good blocking. I saw a good drive within his ability to kind of get get his hands on the shoulder pads and get good pad level and drive uh, defensive players back. You know, that's only going to improve when he gets to the collegiate level and he gets with a good coaching staff that's going to help him with a good strength and conditioning program and technique uh, development. So, yeah, I, I think all three of these guys have pro bowl level caliber talent. And, um, yeah, I, I hope I answered your question correctly on that one. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll jump in there. And I think you did a good job in talking about some areas of their of concern or weakness right now. I think for these guys are fixable, are things that can be developed. And they could show growth and development in those areas. They're not, you know, we, we used the word a little bit fatal flaws last time when we talked with Mark about the quarterbacks. And I don't think any of the things for these three players are fatal flaws that could hinder their ability to become those pro bowl or all pro type players at the next level. I, I do think though, the tight end position is one of those unique positions that, you know, for the sake of these guys, I do hope they land in, in situations and in offenses that seem there, there just seems to be some coaches and some offenses that know how to maximize the skill sets of a tight end. And mm-hmm. a guy like Noah Fant, you talked about his blocking ability a little bit right there. He if, if he gets drafted in round one, like no one's fooling themselves and thinking he's being drafted because of his blocking ability or the fact that that's where he's going to really make hay at the next level. He's going to be drafted because of that elite athleticism and his playmaking ability. Same reason why Evan Ingram two years ago was a first round pick. You know, so I hope he ends up in a place where they do you know, maximize that skill set. Because I think the Giants at times have really wasted Evan Ingram's skill set, asking him too often to line up in line and block. And, you know, and then you hear like, you know, PFF will come out and talk, you know, even after Evan Ingram's statistically good year, rookie year, you know, he'll be at the bottom of like their PFF grades. And it's because of all the times he failed at blocking. And it's like, well, why was he even put in that opportunity so much? You know, it, it sometimes I get frustrated, you know, as a Giants fan, because I, I want them to totally maximize Evan Ingram's ability. But just studying these guys from, you know, for, from the collegiate game to the NFL, and we kind of have a grasp, I think, in terms of what they're strengths are that we'd like to see those strengths kind of maximize at the next level. And, you know, Noah Finn, I think, is a little bit more pro-ready than maybe Noah Fant, because I do think Irv Smith is route running is a little bit crisper. I think his route tree, like you talked about, needs to be defined a little bit and expanded a little bit more. But I also think his blocking is a little bit better right now. So he might even, you know, Matt and I back in our tight end tier show even talked about Irv Smith might play the second most snaps of any tight end in this class, you know, besides, you know, TJ Hawkinson, even more to Noah Finn, even if Fant goes maybe, you know, higher in the draft because he might have a little bit more of a complete picture. So, you know, I, I, I like the fact that you talked about those things. I don't think any of those things are really going to derail them growing and developing. Matt, any final thoughts on those big three before we kind of transition to talk some other guys? No, I, I think you guys hit on all the major points. And the only thing I would I would add to the conversation is is I think that, that we really need to start really probing this idea of developmentalism when we talk about prospects. I think it's a great conversation because I think it puts us as evaluators in a really different lens or mindset because I really do think it forces us to say what part of their games that we're critiquing are really correctable. And I think it adds a layer of a nuance and analysis that we have to invite if we're going to progress in our own discipline in this, in this idea of evaluation, because I, I really think that there's, there's something to be said about critiquing. And then there's something to be said about developmentalism and where that, where you think that that player can go, because I think that adds a layer of nuance to an evaluation that I think really add something to people that are reading it. You're not just hiding behind, like, he can't do this. He's not great at that. Okay, well, that's not definitive. What about the information in other problems that he's solving on the field? How does that tangentially apply 
to this problem that you're saying he's struggling with? Can you gather or glean anything from it? Do you see a role where he can progress? Irv Smith, yes, you know what? To 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 Jason's point, yeah, he's not running crisp route, but he's very deceptive in his route stems. So that means to me that he has a lot more nuance and understanding of different information throughout his route tree that I think he's going to be able to connect to and develop very quickly. So I'm very excited about what his prospects are. So it's like it's just adding that extra dimensionality to our analyses that I think is really fun, really cool, and I think it's very and I think it's very different. I don't see a lot of it out there. I, and I, I'm sorry, I'm going off on a tangent. This is not <laughs> not supposed to be a soapbox show, but anyway. Um, so <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna take Paul off the hook on that one, Jason. As we move kind of past the top three, as yeah. we kind of begin to look past the top three and we go out into the ether, really that is that maybe collectively a group of players. I'm just going to throw out what what we're all considering to be the guys in that next group. And, I, and I'm just curious where you stand on some of them, maybe how you order them, how you kind of place them, what you think of them. I'm going to give you some names. How about let's talk about players like Caden Smith from Stanford, the infamous yet famous yet we don't know what to make of it, Isaac Nauta of Georgia, Jay Sternberger from Texas A&M, and Dawson Knox from Ole Miss. How about those four guys right there? Any any like kind of feverishly passionate thoughts you have on those players? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, Jay Sternberger, basically, we saw one solid year. I think he played for three different teams uh, during his collegiate career. And we saw one solid year from him uh, under Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. Uh, I was watching film of him the other night, and when I watched Jay Sternberger, his movement ability is what really got me intrigued by him. So what I mean by that is when you get him in space, he he does a lot of – there's a lot of quick mental processing understanding of what path he wants to take and how quickly he wants to do it. And even in the second level, he knows how to identify the blockers that are going to help him out and use those second-level blockers strategically. Uh, he knows when he needs to break it up the seam and, and understand when to use subtle footwork to kind of elude defenders. And he also knows when to break it out to the perimeter and use the perimeter to his advantage because he has that long speed at the end of it. Uh, Jay Sternberger is a guy that I'm more uh, intrigued with than the rest of the guys that you mentioned. Dawson Knox is a guy I'm having, I I struggle with because I see the release, I see the athleticism, but there's just not a lot of film to go off of. And I want to have that firm foundation of understanding of who he is before I can really put a final grade on him. But I understand the intrigue. You know, it's hard when you're at Ole Miss and you have Demarcus Lodge and AJ Brown and DK Metcalf. What are you supposed to do? You know, I mean, Jordan Te'amu should have been a, a crazy statistical guy last season when it comes to two of the best wide receivers in this NFL draft. Uh, DeMarcus Lodge is no slouch. And then, you know, Dawson Knox is trying to fill in his role. Uh, it, it's just too tough. And so he's, he's a tough evaluation that I have. But I do like the upside. I see, I see the athleticism, and I think there's potential there for him. Isaac Nada. Now, here's, here's the tale of two things. There's the Isaac Nada at the combine, and there's the Isaac Nada on tape. Isaac not on tape tells you everything you need to know that he has what it takes to be a solid tight end at the next level if he's with good leadership. And I'm going to go off of what you were just talking about, Matt. Leadership meaning that you understand identifying the strengths of a player, the weaknesses of a player, and putting them in the best position to succeed based on their strengths. Now, obviously, what we saw is that athletic ability may not be his strength, overall athletic ability. But he's a very good pass catcher. I think he's got very good mental processing. Uh, you know, he's another one of those guys that I think if you put him in a in the right spot, you let him go up the seam, but you get some nice uh, out routes because I did see him make some nice breaks in his breaks in his routes to the outside. Yes, it's not the it's a simple route as far as what we've seen from tight ends, but you can use him that way. Uh, I, I do like Isaac Nada, but at this point in time, I went back and I looked and I can't be stubborn. I had to drop him down a bit just because that you don't really see undersized tight ends with that sort of athleticism coming out of the combine do extremely well at the next level. But I think the potential is there based on what I saw him do at Georgia. And so I don't want to take that away from what he can be. Um, and what, what was the other guy? I, I think I'm missing one there, Matt. Caden uh, Smith. Caden Smith. You know, we saw Caden Smith at Stanford and put up some tremendous numbers. He was extremely productive. 
But when I watched the film, I didn't come away very satisfied with what I saw. I think he's kind of slow off his release. I, I think that when you see him kind of get into the seam, it takes a lot of momentum and buildup for him to get to that top speed. And I don't think that's going to translate very well at the next level. We're talking about bigger, stronger, and faster at the next level when it comes to defenders. And I don't think he's going to have the time it takes to kind of get in position and contort his body if it takes him that long to get up to top speed, get the tempo in his route, get the speed in his route. I like the physicality, but I'm just not sure it's going to translate. So I would say Caden Smith's the guy that I'm lower on than the rest of them, even with the limited film I saw from Dawson Knox. Yeah, I mean, four four guys you brought up there uh, really did a nice job breaking down their games and their traits. I think all of them have a lot of questions in terms of that we don't know the answers right now we don't know you know I feel like we all have a pretty good sense of those top three guys and how they're going to transition and we all think they're going to be pretty successful I think this group of guys it's very hard I mean if if I just work backwards here a little bit you did a great job talking about the Isaac Nauta we saw on film and then the Isaac Nauta we saw at the combine and you know it goes back to you know, Matt and I were talking about this right before you joined us tonight, Jason, is that draft capital is a real thing. It, mm-hmm. it impacts it impacts opportunity. It impacts how long your leash is. It impacts how quickly a team maybe looks to replace you. You know, and a guy like Isaac Nauta right now, who I said this before he even ran at the Combine, he reminded me and reminds me of a Jack Doyle-style player. And when... Nauta ran his poor 40 time. I looked up Jack Doyle's 40 time and it was in the four nines. I don't think Jack Doyle was at the combine, but you know, his pro day or whatever, he ended up running it. And I see that kind of player. Like if Jack Doyle could create separation and be a functional to above average receiver at the NFL level, I still think Isaac Nauta possesses that. Now, I think the most surprising thing about Isaac Nauta at the combine was him coming in at the weight he came in. Because for all the years that Isaac Nauta was at Georgia, I kind of felt like he was a guy that was kind of filled out more and had a bigger frame, you know, and I thought it was a pretty good blocker. So to me, that was that's still my biggest question about Isaac Nauta is I thought he was more a guy who played at like 255 or 258 than, than the weight he came in at the combine. So maybe he dropped some weight to try to run faster. Obviously, you know, that didn't work so well. But it'll be interesting to see just because he was getting a lot of day two buzz prior to the combine. And then, you know, you wonder, like, you know, was that just media driven buzz or was that, you know, what some people were hearing from NFL teams? And then you wonder where his stock goes now. Is it fourth round? Is it fifth round? Some people think it should be like sixth or seventh. I'm not there. I think I think it probably should be day three now. But I still would think he's worth a fourth round investment if you believe in the film that you're watching. Caden Smith athleticism was not one of his calling cards. He, you, you talked about him winning at the catch point is how he does it. But we've seen some wide receivers struggle who were mostly predominantly at the catch point guys. So it's intriguing to see a tight end like that who does all of his you know receiving ability really was in close quarters and winning at the catch point. He's very good at that. But how does that translate at the next level when the defenders are better athletes? I think is a really intriguing question. Can he solve that problem at the next level? And then you mentioned Sternberger, and I, I, I kind of wanted to follow up with one thing on Sternberger to you because I agree with your Dawson Knox. He He's all about potential. You see glimpses of it. You see athleticism. He hasn't ran his 40 time yet because he did most of the positional drills at the Combine. It'll be interesting to see if he runs a 40. I do think he's pretty fast and he's got that movement skills that's intriguing and that's why he'll get pushed up the board. I like Sternberger's film a lot and he didn't disappoint me at the combine, but I think I might, I think I set the bar high. I thought he was going to really test out well as like a great athlete at the combine. You know, you talked about his movement skills. Were you a little surprised that he kind of came in about average? Because when I watched him on film and again, didn't change it. He's, he's been number four for me you know, for a while now, and I'm not going to move him off of there. I just thought, I thought maybe on, I thought at the combine, he was maybe going to show that he was a very good to great athlete. And he was more about an average to a slightly above average athlete. Were you expecting him to test a little bit better in some of the 40, the movement stuff at the combine? Absolutely. I completely agree with you. When he put up those numbers, you know, especially after seeing what happened with the running backs, I started thinking something's got to come out where the combine is, you know, 
there's something wrong with the equipment or something because these numbers don't really match up, especially when I saw what happened with Nada. Uh, he's uh, Sternberger is very athletic. And I don't, he's one of those guys where I don't really care what the combine said. I know what I saw on film and I'm trusting the film because I really believe in that movement ability. I believe in the speed that he has, you know, when it comes to the blocking, I think there's some improvement that needs to be there. But if you're talking about a guy that you want to put into a system and you put him in the slot or you get him in space or you give him the opportunity for receptions, you know, he's going to be one of those guys that's going to get a lot of reception because he's able to move very well and he's got the speed for it. So yeah, when it came to the combine, I was, I, I was I was taken back by that. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to just jump in and say to you guys, I mean, because you guys have covered really all the bases on the prospects, but I, I, I kind of, I, I just, you know, it goes back to this discussion that we're constantly having on shows like this about the combine versus what we see on film and 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 what stats are saying versus what stats are not saying. And I, I think statistics is an outstanding tool. And I think statistics is trying to look for relationships between the numbers and what's happening in the future with these players. So I don't actually begrudge any analyst or analytics person that's trying to find connections between this vast volume of data that we've collected. My only concern is, does the volume of data in any way represent the actual players on the field? So it's not necessarily a question of the statistics or the analytics. It's are we analyzing a a data pool that's non-representative? And that's really the question I always keep coming back to. I mean, you know, we're asking players to perform non-representative tasks, and yet we're trying to glean from that representative production or future performance. So I, I don't, I don't see the connection. So I don't think it's it's bad to question any of this. I think it's actually valid. And I love Jason that you brought up one thing that I think is really excellent. And I think it's, I think the same thing goes with Sternberger. It goes with Nada. We talk about how they look on film relative to how they performed. And if we just agree for a moment that the the combine let's say we agree that the combine is relevant how do we justify the the differential and i think the differential comes down to the way in which the players are performing on the field is so much more than any of these physical capacities that we're ideally looking at we're looking at how they integrate that and use those those capacities within the context of the game itself we're trying to understand like for example you talked about Um, The way in which Sternberger uses and understands the kinematics or the way the body of his blockers are moving on the field and what that affords him in terms of opportunities to create space and create yards for himself after the catch. The way in which a player moves is actually something that we have research about, about that people can perceive, understand how people are going to move on the field. And we can use that information to create opportunities for action for ourselves. That that's actually real. That's not just some fabricated thing. When we use blockers and understand how to use blockers, that's actually real information that some people are connected to, and hence that's why their play speed is so much better, and others aren't. And and players that are connected to that information, that understand it, that can look at the way in which the velocity and trajectory of a player is blocking another player and actually infer from that what they're able to do as a result, that's real. That's not that's not hyperbole. And I think that sometimes we forget that like play speed. It, it We call it play speed. It's not. Yeah. OK, that's a made up term. It is made up. We know that. But what is it really? It's connecting to the kinematics of your blockers, understanding their trajectory, their velocities, what they're capable of doing, and then reacting to it off of that saying, now, what can I do with my own skills? How can I react to what they're going to afford me? based on the blocking behavior that they're demonstrating. That's quote-unquote play speed when it comes to running in the open field. That's real. So I think like to dismiss it is something that we have to really take a long, hard look at. There is relevancy to that, and it's not tested at the combine. So we can't reconcile that with just a singular test. And I think that was a great point that you made about Sternberger, and I think that that's something that Nauta does. I think that's something that... Um, players like Sternberger and Nauta do that that not other that many other players may not do, no matter what position we're looking at. So I think I think that was a great point. Yeah, Matt, I mean, I'll, oh, go. no, I'm sorry, Matt. You're gonna love this, and I'm sorry, Paul. I didn't no. interrupt you. Um, but uh, I actually used your player problem solving paradigm when it came to Isaac Nada and Jay Sternberger, just because I wanted to get the idea of their movement ability based on a lot some of the stuff that we d- talked about on Twitter. Yep. And that movement ability, that understanding of how to move in a certain situations, how to identify pursuit of defenders, 
that that intelligence of knowing what to do with your body mechanics and how to utilize those body mechanics and everything around you, the perimeter of everything you see around you and move properly. That's something I absolutely loved when I watched uh, Jay Sternberger and Isaac Nada and another tight end that we'll talk about later, probably. So, um, yeah, I just wanted you to know that that's, that's, no, no, I, real. I, and I appreciate it. And unfortunately going back to Paul's thing, and then we'll, we'll, I'll let Paul pivot it off it because I know we got to get through a lot of guys, but, but to Paul's point, the only thing that crushes our ability to ever fully realize this is going to be draft capital. It mm-hmm. adds a bias to it. That just unfortunately is going to be a major obstacle for some of yeah. these guys. An opportunity overcome. is a huge part of that. Yeah. 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 And I mean, and and just the one final part on that before we'll transition to some other guys is the NFL evaluators, they're very rigid in their evals and they've been doing something the same way for a really, really long time. And they don't seem at least what's portrayed to the public that they're really adapting and adjusting to some of the new information that's out there. You know, some of this movement and and some of this scientific research that's out there. And you do wonder that they do, I think, utilize the combine maybe more than we even do as, you know, like people who watch the limited amounts of film compared to what they have at their disposal. I think they do put a lot of emphasis at times on the combine to move things up and really look for outliers. But the problem is a guy like Isaac Nordic, I I fear that even if they like him on film, they have a database of saying there's only been this many players that have ever, you know, ran that poorly and ever even remotely had a successful NFL career, not really tying that into, well, it probably meant that their draft capital went down. They never even then got that opportunity, but I do think they're a little rigid and strict and, and stuff and not open to understanding the, what they see on film in terms of reacting and play speed as Matt was talking about relative to what they see at the combine. And I do think they probably overreact at times to the combine, especially if it's a really poor result. And there's a lot of historical data that, that says, Oh, there's never been a guy who's ever been a, you know, a good tight end in the league who's ever ran that poor of a time. So I don't think they've really modernized too much. It's kind of why the combine I don't think is ever modernized because the NFL people, I don't think ever want to change because they want to be able to do that historical data and representation of it. So I I think that really hurts these guys because then it hurts the draft capital as well. But I I do love that when you talked about Sternberger on film, his movement ability is very different than uh, what we saw, uh, you know, in the drills and, and that fake you know, fake football at the combine compared to what we saw, you know, uh, you know, on Saturdays, you know, at Texas A&M. So let's transition this away from that. Some of these topics will probably come up in, in some other guys here, but I want to talk about two guys. If, if we kind of agree that the Isaac Norton and the Caden Smith are falling, whether they should be or not in perception, they have been two guys who I think are rising and maybe replacing them as guys that could push to be top 100 guys. Now I think are Josh Oliver out of San Jose state and Cahill Waring out of San Diego state. Jason thoughts on those two, you know, a little bit under the radar guys, you know, not playing in any of the power five, the big five power five conferences, Thoughts on Oliver, thoughts on Warring. I, I don't know how much Warring or Oliver film you were able to get. I know when we were watching them, there's not a lot out there. So we're going off bits and pieces here, and I'm sure you, you're you the same. Uh, but uh, just kind of want to take your thoughts on these two guys. Well, now you just got my ears pricked up. These are actually two guys I'm really high on. And we'll, we'll start with Kahale Warring uh, out of San Diego State. Uh, one thing that I love about him is his movement ability, but his ability to move and still have outstanding body control, whether his feet are actually still planted on the ground and generating ground, ge- getting ground generated power, or he's actually in the air with the ability to kind of contort his body to the ball shows good, strong hands. And I, I just like everything that I saw in the limited tape and it is limited tape. Uh, I like everything I saw from him. Now he's, he's a multi-sport guy. I think he's played basketball. I think he ran cross country. He's a swimmer, a couple other things that he did in high school. So the athleticism is definitely there. And we saw that at the NFL combine. Uh, he was a walk on at San Diego state. So, you know, he, he had to work himself from the ground up, uh, didn't really have a lot of, uh, 
experience at the high school level because he played so many sports at high school. Uh, you know, he does have some injury history that he's going to have to deal with. And I think that'll be a knock on him. But man, you watch this kid and you could really see the, the, the upside that he has, his release off the line, his ability to get into his route through the seam quickly, uh, you know, understands how to kind of navigate the seam between defenders strategically. Uh, you know, he has a very limited route tree. There's there's a solid foundation of athletic ability and a little bit of what you might call the projectional upside just because it, it, it's such limited film. But, man, it, the tools are all there. So Waring is a guy that I really like. I've watched a couple of videos because I really like to get to know the player. And I watched a lot of the interviews. And he is just a guy who's going to work his tail off. He doesn't – he'll never give up. He wants nothing but to just win no matter what he's doing. Uh, it doesn't matter what situation it is. It's it's a my ball mentality, and I like the I like the physical ability that he has. Even in the limited time I saw him blocking, he's very physical, and he he does not want to go down. He has good he leverages his play strength very well, and so Warning is a guy I really like. Now we'll move on to Josh Oliver out of San, uh, San Jose State. Uh, this is a guy, and I tweeted this a little while back, where I feel like he's going to fit today's NFL beautifully just because he can be used in multiple spots on the offensive line. He's got great athletic ability, outstanding movement skills, body control, uh, tenacity at the catch point, able to contort his body. I mean, he can adjust uh, balls thrown high, balls thrown low, balls thrown in front of him. And even I saw him move to catch a ball that was kind of thrown behind him. That was an inaccurate ball. And that, that's something special. If you get him in space, you get him on crossing routes and slants down the seam. I mean, he's able to do so many different things. I really like uh, Josh Oliver. He's pretty high on my list. He actually make my top five with these tight ends. Uh, you're, you're talking about two guys that I really like. I think Waring is a guy that, you know, he's just got to land in the right opportunity. Oliver's the same, but I just see a lot of upside with what Oliver can do in today's NFL. And sometimes, sometimes my scouting my scouting mind and my fantasy football mind kind of clash and they start fighting each other. Uh, Oliver's a guy that that didn't really happen. I see him being an outstanding fantasy asset if he lands in the right situation. And I see him being a uh, outstanding just NFL prospect uh, as well. Yeah. I mean, I'll jump in right there. Warren is a guy who I'm really intrigued by. I know, uh, your uh, colleague over there, Kyle Francis, and I have a little bet about, I said that is a legitimate possibility he could be a uh, top 100 pick. So uh, we're going to uh, do something for our listeners. If uh, he does go in the top 100, we're going to give away, uh, you know, one of your uh, products and, and vice versa. If he doesn't, uh, you guys are going <laughs> to give to one of your uh, listeners, uh, you know, uh, the Saturday Sunday premium notebooks. But it's it, it's fun to talk about this guy because he's late to the game. I don't know if you heard the story that came out around the combine that like the first time he ever like played football he thought there was 13 players on the field on each side like you know like he's that raw to the game it just kind of you know like we we laugh at that and we think like how could he possibly not know but it just kind of gives you a little bit of background in him and and how new and how much he's still learning and what he's already been able to accomplish you know and and the NFL listen the NFL has got to be a little bit intrigued with him you know he left early from San Diego State it wasn't a guy who was getting a lot of publicity during the college football season, you know, so he, he must've, you know, had the ear from, from, from some people of saying, listen, the NFL is intrigued by you. They're intrigued by your skill set. Like, you know, maybe now's the time to go and, and continue your development and learning at the NFL level. And, and I thought everything you said about Oliver was spot on, you know, really intriguing both of these guys. I mean, I think you put these two guys, with the guys that we talked about, obviously at the top, the big three, and then I think Sternberger and Dawson Knox. And I think those are the guys that I would kind of really, you know, hold firm in terms of who I think the NFL is going to like the most. There's a couple guys we'll probably talk about in terms of maybe, you know, some of these guys who are really good blockers, maybe push up a little bit. But I think those guys, that those seven guys or so are going to be the guys that intrigue NFL teams the most and could potentially hear their name called in the, in the top 100. Matt, any thoughts on Warren or Oliver? If not, you want to transition to a couple other guys? Yeah, I mean, just a quick thought on Josh Oliver. I, I kind of sit right there on Josh Oliver. I'm I'm really, really impressed with him overall in his game. I think that 
I, I think Jason, you said it really well. I think he really just fits a multitude of schemes. I think he's a very scheme versatile type of tight end. I think he's going to be able to, to kind of meet whatever need they have. And, and I think the ability to contribute in the run game as a blocker is something that he's going to be able to do immediately. And then also what he'll be able to bring as a route runner as well. Again, still developing, of course, but like, I mean, I just, I really do like Josh Oliver. I'm really impressed with him and Kyle Waring. I mean, you guys went on volumes about him. I, I agree with everything that you guys just said. So Jason, I just wanted to kind of maybe transition to a couple of other players for you to take a look at. What do you think about, again, players that are just fitting into that mold that we think the NFL may have crushes on, whether you do or don't <laughs> love to hear your <laughs> thoughts on these guys. What do you think of Alizé Mack and CJ Wilson? Like, what do you, what do you think of those guys in terms of their overall, you know, Caleb Wilson, excuse CJ Wilson, Caleb Wilson, <laughs> excuse me. Right. I knew yeah, what, do you th- what do you think? What do you think of these two gentlemen and, and in terms of what they could bring to the game and just any other thoughts, any players that we haven't mentioned tonight, guys that just maybe you're burning on that you haven't had a chance to talk about or really share some insights. Guys that, I mean, we're only, we're a small crew of people, all of us that are doing this. So if maybe they're guys that you just got a chance to watch more of that you're starting to rise on. So Alizé Mack, Caleb Wilson, and then who else in your kind of repository of players that are really just building on you? Yeah, I'll start with uh, Caleb Wilson of UCLA. Uh, Caleb Wilson is a guy that I've I watched pretty closely because I did not see the athleticism in on his film in his film whatsoever. And as a matter of fact, it was a few episodes back, maybe a couple months ago. Uh, Lawrence Cheney, who's the host of Debbie Watch with me, uh, he he and I were having a conversation and we were talking about Caleb Wilson, and we both agreed right away. You you can just see the lack of athleticism right away. Like we both said that almost at the same exact time. And then as soon as he ran the combine and he had those numbers, we, you know, we were having another discussion through Twitter and we were just like, really? Like that is not what I saw. He's one of those guys where the film and combine don't match up in the, in the other way in which we've been describing. So I still believe in the film. I just don't see Caleb Wilson as one of those top guys that I feel good about translating to the next level. I think he's very slow in his release. I don't see the speed that we saw in his 40. I don't see the transition within his movement ability, within his routes. I I see a very good pass catcher. I see a guy who is able to make some solid contested catches. Uh, I I saw a guy that can get in space and make the most out of that space. But I just don't see a player in which that he is going to translate and be an effective starter at the NFL level. That's that's personally how I feel about Caleb Wilson. Uh, Alizé Mack is a guy that I'm a big Notre Dame fan, and so watching him, there's a lot left a lot left on the bone when it comes to the talent and upside that Alizé Mack possesses. You know, when it comes to Notre Dame, we saw some really bad quarterback play when it came to Equinemia St. Brown. Uh, with Brandon Winbush and you know same thing as far as what took Miles Boykin so long to get finally get somewhere his senior year and showcase himself you know is that is that the same with Alizé Mack well as a Notre Dame fan I I watched pretty closely and and to be honest with you I I saw a lost player throughout most of the time that he was a starter and even in the limited starting role that he had he just it's almost like he just couldn't put together where he was supposed to be where he was supposed to turn the route he was supposed to run and I I think that is even if he gets to the next level with the foundation of athleticism that he has, it's going to take him quite a while. He's going to be one of those guys where we're going to see him maybe rise a couple years down the line and and possibly have that opportunity. But I think it's going to take him a little while. And we're talking even some of the best prospects that come out. It takes them a couple of years. I did a tight end article maybe two years ago about you know the breakout ages. And it's between 24, 25, 26, somewhere in that range. But there's certain things that go with it. And, you know, just the understanding tight ends are asked to do a lot. It's not just be a receiver. It's not just be a blocker. Like they have to understand many different assignments. They have to understand a playbook from multiple multitudes of levels. So I just, when it comes to Alizé Mack, I love the potential upside, but we're talking a few years, a few years down the line in the right system with the right coaching staff and, uh, you know, those two players, that, that's kind of how I feel about those guys. A guy that we haven't talked about that I've come a, come around on is, uh, I think it's Trayvon or Trevon Wesco out of West Virginia. And I started watching him maybe two or three weeks ago and 
you know, I, I kind of just throw some film on every now and then in between commercials and stuff when I'm watching my shows. And uh, man, he he's really impressive. He's a better blocker than I could have anticipated, especially coming out of West Virginia. Uh, you know, we we see that you know that kind of air raid, fast pace, passing offense. Well, man, he he's a very good blocker. He's a good pass catcher. I think there's a lot of upside with with Wesco, and I I think that even with the four eight nine that he, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, I, I believe it was a four eight nine that I ran at the combine. You know, he looked a lot faster on film. So I want to give him that credit that I believe that. Uh, and, and Matt, you just said it. Play speed is not a real thing. But uh, the speed in which that he runs and he's able to get into his route, I like the tempo in which that he's kind of within his breaks, understanding how to use deception within his body mechanics. I think Wesco is a guy that we really need to keep our eyes on. Yeah, I like that you brought up Wesco because one of my next questions I was going to ask you was, there is a group of guys who I would consider above average to good to maybe even very good in terms of their blocking ability. And Wesco kind of falls into that category. You know, we not a guy who has a lot of receiving production, but showed out pretty well at the senior bowl. And there's a couple other guys who I thought, you know, have had some moments in the pre-draft process. I think, you know, they're definitely known as much for their blocking ability, maybe even as their receiving ability. And I was just kind of intrigued if there's one of the the next trio names I'm going to throw out here that maybe stands out in terms of transitioning at the next level. And that's Tommy Sweeney at a Boston college who of the three names I'm going to mention clearly has the most production in terms of receiving ability uh, at the collegiate level. Uh, Foster Moreau out of LSU, who's really tested out really well athletically, you know, just not been asked to do a lot in terms of the receiving game, great blocker. And then Drew Sample out of Washington. Is there any of those guys who you think, you know, uh, there's some untapped potential there that maybe we could see a little bit more out of them at the NFL level that a guy, you know, again, maybe their fourth round picks or fifth round picks, they get on the field with their due to their blocking ability. But all of a sudden we start to see them make a little bit noise in the receiving game as well. And maybe they turn into a little bit more of a all completely well-balanced tight end from that trio. Well, let's start with Foster Moreau. He's a guy I'm absolutely in love with as well. And he caught my eye a little while back, you know, limited film. LSU did not use him as a pass catcher fairly often. But when you when you saw the release off the line, when you saw him get into the second level, you when you see the movement ability within the second level and getting past defenders, man, he he is a tenacious catcher. Like he's just a tenacious guy. He's he's got physicality within his blocking. I mean, he's mean. <laughs> he's brutal when it comes to his blocking. He wants to put you down and make sure you don't get back up. And that's something that I personally love to see in the tight end position that, that, uh, you know, that Mike Dicka, like no way am I going to let you ever get the best of me type of player, you know? And even when he's a pass catcher, it's a my ball mentality. And so Foster Moreau, I think, you know, there's so much untapped potential with him that when he gets to the next level, uh, I just think that there's going to be a team that's going to be able to utilize him properly. And we're going to see a guy from, you know, that went from almost no production at the collegiate level to a, to a good majority of production at the next level. Uh, again, it's just landing spots always going to be key for no matter who we talk about tonight, whatever position it may be. Uh, but landing spot for him is definitely going to be key because he's got to be used strategically. And what I mean by that is he's got a very limited route tree. He wasn't asked to do a lot. So, you know, it, it, there's going to be a learning curve for him, but the solid foundation is definitely there for Foster Moreau. So I really like him. Tommy Sweeney, he's got the experience, the leadership. I think he's a great pass catcher. I don't think he does anything gr- outstanding, but he's just a solid player. He's a good blocker. He's a good pass catcher. Um, I think he's fine within his movement ability. I, I think he's just going to give you that you know, solid every week performance, nothing great. I don't think we're ever going to see anything spectacular come from him, but I think he's going to be in the league for a while and he's going to make an impact for a team as a blocker and a few catches uh, here and there. That's kind of where I see Tommy Sweeney. And uh, I believe the last one you said was Drew Sample. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. Drew Sample is a guy that I, I personally do like, uh, you know, LJ Cheney, who's uh, my my host with WWH, he's a big Washington fan. So we're always talking about Washington players and we're always talking about Miles Gaskin. And with Miles Gaskin comes a tight end position with the blocking. And I like what I saw from Drew Sample as a blocker. And I liked what I saw from him as a pass catcher as well. I think he's got 
pretty solid athleticism. I think he ran in the four, low four sevens at the combine. And you kind of see that on film. I don't know, again, kind of like Tommy Sweeney, that there's anything spectacular about him. I think he's just an all-around solid player uh, with kind of a limited upside just based on what I saw in his film. Uh, but he's a guy that I do like. And I'll add one more because I think it's really important we get to this guy is Dax Raymond at Utah State. You know, when I watched Dax Raymond, I saw an athletic guy. And when I saw him run at the NFL Combine, uh, you know, I think he was in the low four sevens as well. I thought he was going to run more so something like what um, Foster Moreau ran in the low four sixes, uh, but or maybe mid low four sixes. But that, that's OK. He he did exactly what I expected him to do. He looks very athletic to me on film. I like his breaks and his routes. He's very deceptive. He understands how to kind of manipulate defenders' hips. And I, I like everything that he can do as a blocker as well. So Dax Raymond's a guy that's pretty high on my list as well. Yeah, I mean, I love that you just brought up Dax Raymond because he was the one other name that I was going to mention. I mean, we just covered 16 tight ends and all 16 <laughs> of those tight ends, I think all have a legitimate shot to be drafted in the first five rounds of the NFL draft. I truly believe all of those guys that we just talked about have the capability and potential to be drafted in the first five rounds. Will some of them probably slip through the cracks and fall to round six or round seven? Probably. But those 16 guys are getting drafted. I think there's little, you know, about that. And I'm sure there's going to be a couple other guys, you know, whether it's CJ Conrad out of Kentucky who just got cleared or Zach Gentry out of Michigan or Kendall Blanton out of Missouri or Keenan Brown out of Texas State who started out his career at Oklahoma State. You know, super deep class we potentially could see you know 20 to 22 tight ends drafted i think we could see 15 or 16 in the first five rounds or so uh jason this was amazing uh matt any thoughts on these final tight ends we brought up here or anything that we you kind of wanted before we close it out no i mean i I think jason did a great job i think you guys on you know broke them down pretty well i mean i think the biggest guy that stands out to me is you know i mean fought out of out of this whole discussion i mean Sternberger, Monroe, um, and uh, Drew Sample were guys that stood out back in the spring. You know, like when we were all watching those spring games, and we're kind of like watching them just to get a get a little bit of a bead from those beat reporters that are hovering around those teams to see what you know coaching staff is saying and who they're getting guys in there. And you know, these guys have been around, and I think that out of all of them, the the guy that I think we mentioned tonight that I, I think continues to just intrigue me because of you know, what they can be, what they might be, uh, if everything were to go right and go in their favor. It, it's really, it's really hard not to like Josh Oliver out of this group as a player to just earmark and kind of just say, you know what, if you're in that fantasy league, and you know what, that's maybe a, one final question I have for Jason as, as we kind of close out. If we're going to take off our evaluation hat for a moment and say, you know, we like to kind of go through these ideas of like, you know, kind of like scuba versus deep sea diving versus submarine gasping for air type players. If you had to pick a, a, a surface level player outside of the top two or three guys, so outside of the fans, the Irv Smiths, you know, and the um, TJ Hawkinson's in that next tier, who's a guy that you would be earmarking in your fantasy world to maybe get a hold of? Oh, man, to me, I, you kind of said it's Josh Oliver. I mean, he is the guy. You got you got to think about it. The NFL, there's there's not a lot of opportunity for these tight ends. There's th- 32 teams, and how many tight ends actually produce? Oliver's just that guy. I just see it with him, where he just fits the mold of a fantasy tight end and just today's NFL tight end, where they they're they're gonna find a way to get him the ball. And you can't say that for a lot of these tight ends, even though they're so talented and so good, and the upside is there. I just, I just see it with Josh Oliver. He's a guy that I could kind of just pound the table for. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't really see it with other guys. I think opportunity is going to have to be their scheme. There's so many different variables that have to come into play for some of these guys to be that every week productive fantasy tight end. Oliver, I don't have that worry. Go deep sea diving on me then. Who are we going, like, gasping for air? They're on our watch list. We've got them kind of, like, earmarked for the moment when – maybe they get their first couple of snaps with the first team and we're just clamoring to pick them up. Is there any guy like that for you? Man, you know what? It, Dax Raymond's a guy that I saw that with when I watched his film. I could just see it happening. It's almost like I was, and I don't want to I, I hate doing this because people will take it seriously, but I, I saw a Rob Gronkowski type, just that catching ability, that high pointing ability, that 
uh, boxing out defenders, able to really be a great red zone threat, but still has good route running and is able to kind of have outstanding body control at the same time. I think there's a lot to work with. Uh, Dax Raymond's a guy that kind of caught my eye in that, in that ability, just cause I almost, I could picture it. I could picture it on Sundays with him. So he would be the guy that I feel comfortable with as well. Yeah, listen, I love both of those guys. I think, you know, obviously tight end is one of those positions in, in dynasty rookie drafts that really is dependent on a lot about the league settings. Is it two tight ends? Is it tight end premium? How deep we going with rosters? Are we going taxi squad? You know, because a guy like Dax Raymond is a great guy in a two tight end or tight end premium league that you have some taxi squad spots. Cause it, let's be honest, if he goes fourth or fifth round, immediate opportunity is probably going to be lacking, but you know, he can end up somewhere that you kind of stash him away, use a fourth or fifth round rookie pick and get those guys. And those are the guys that man, I like to bring up from time to time. Obviously our focus is usually just more on evaluation of these guys, but we like to tie it in to the fantasy spin as well. Uh, not too much before the draft because, you know, we think this is also fluid. Like we talked about with opportunity, like you were just mentioning there. And then obviously post draft, we do, you know, a lot more fantasy analysis, you know, in the immediate, you know, a month or so uh, before we tighten, turn the page and then just start the whole process again uh, with, with the following year's class. So Jason, again, this was a blast. Thank you so much for coming on. Just let our listeners know uh, where they can find you on Twitter. Uh, if you guys are working on anything special there over at DFF or if you got anything planned in the next month uh, on the podcast, uh, just let our listeners know what's going on with you. Yeah, well, first off, thank you, gentlemen. I really appreciate you having me on. This is a lot of fun. Uh, I've been dying to do this with you both for a very long time now. I think we've been trying to make this happen for a while. So uh, absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you. Um, yeah, and you can find me on Twitter at All Purpose Scout. Um, I'm a writer for DynastyFootballFactory.com. We have an outstanding Debbie crew that's over there right now. Uh, we just put out our 2019 Debbie Watch, 280-some-odd uh, profiles of college football players. I mean, it's it's extensive. Vacated production showing what, what production has left the uh, college football ranks and what players will step in, dominator ratings. I mean, we got a bunch of t- statistics to help match up the profiles and the rankings that we have in place. Uh, We're very proud of it. It took a long time. And I know you guys understand the amount of time it takes to put a project together. Um, Something we're we're extremely happy about. And um, yeah, we're going to be doing it year to year. So thank you guys very much. Yeah, guys, if you have not checked that out, please get over to their website and purchase that. It is well worth your investment. Absolutely great job they do over there, kind of laying the groundwork for your Devi leagues and just even future dynasty rookie drafts. If you're a fan of the NFL draft, if you're a fan of college football, I mean, this really, that product really goes uh beyond just Debbie leagues. It, it gives you, you know, initial thoughts and, and reports on so many of the underclassmen as we transition past the 2019 NFL draft and what's in the woodworks coming up from behind it. So it, it's got a lot of usage, uh, not just if you play in Debbie leagues, but so many other different aspects of fantasy football. If you're a fan of the draft, fan of college football, uh, it's a great product. Please make sure you get over there and support them and, and check that out as well. Matt, any final parting shots here before we close it up? Yeah, no, just to echo what you just said, Paul, not only is that product so good, it's so good that I just don't read it until I'm done with my own work. That's how good it is. <laughs> because if I read it before, if I read it before I'm done doing my own analysis, then it's like it's inviting bias un, un, unknowingly. So I'm just like, I tell Jason, I was like, you know what? I just don't look at it. I won't look at it until I'm done doing what I got to do first because it's just that good. It's just that well-written. It's just that well-put together. It's just that thorough. It's an excellent product, one that is well, well, well worth the money, especially in this in this world where you can get so many different resources. It's hard to find one that has everything in one spot. You guys are too kind. Thank you. You guys are great. I really appreciate that. And yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's it's a great job. So uh, make sure you guys get over there and support that. So guys, next up, just so you know, uh, here at Saturday to Sunday, uh, we will have multiple uh, guests next week. So it'll be a double header for Saturday to Sunday. We're going to finish up these positional shows by bringing on a guest to talk about the running back position and a guest to talk about the wide receiver position. If you have missed the previous episode where Mark Schofield joined us to talk about the quarterbacks, please make sure uh, you go back and listen to that. If you're still catching up on Combine, we put out 
out uh, six podcasts recapping the combine every single day. There were instant analysis for all four days. Then there was a combine offensive recap with a fantasy spin. And then uh, Eric Coleman joined me and we did a full defensive recap as well. So those are the most less seven episodes here at Saturday Sunday. Please make sure if you missed any of them, check it out. If you love the uh, what Matt and I have been putting out on Twitter, we've been putting out snippets of our scouting profiles. Please get over to the website. Quickest way now is s2sfootball.com. Click on the premium content tab and then click on the premium notebooks. You can get all four for $9.99. You get the scouting notebook, which has over 100 player profiles in the 2019 class and thoughts from underclassmen that didn't declare. As well, you get the rankings notebook, which has all our tiers, all our draft rankings. It'll have our dynasty rookie rankings and so many more rankings. And then in April, you get the freshman notebook, which will have player profiles on the top incoming freshmen. And then the draft projections notebook, how we expect it to go from all the other sources uh, that we that are out there in terms of trying to predict the order in which it's going to happen on draft night. So it is the best way to support the show. If you can't do that, please get whatever podcast app you listen to rate review download and subscribe greatly appreciate that as well so on behalf of our guests this evening jason darienzo on behalf of matt on behalf of our sound and tech engineer david nakano and myself thank you for joining us and we look forward next time taking you from saturday to sunday